Thank you for tuning in to Beer and Money. In this episode, Alex continues his interview with Dr. Wade Fowl. Really challenging. Um, and I, I am I'm thrilled to hear that there's a fourth book coming out. I am a little bit saddened to hear that it is planned to be the last book. I, I hope that we can collectively talk you into writing more. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm very excited to, uh, to you know, you, you mentioned that there's going to be like about a 70 page chapter on uh, the, the taxation structures and, and um, efficiencies. Um, you know, I know that's, that's near and dear to my heart is talking about uh, efficiencies and, and trying to, to walk through all of the different um, efficiencies. Um, you know, mm-hmm. If we could spend maybe just a couple minutes talking about uh, you know, some of the various different efficiencies and kind of where you see um, value added by, by advisors, um, you know, advisors that, that, that do it properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in the pre-retirement phase, you're starting to set up it's called tax diversification. You've got some different tax advantages in the tax code. So some money may be in a traditional like taxable brokerage account, but then you've got your tax deferred accounts, things like your IRAs and 401ks. And then you have your tax exempt accounts, things like Roth IRAs, Roth 401ks. And to start choosing how to position assets between each of those and then how to locate assets so that you typically want like the most tax efficient assets are in the taxable account. Often bonds are less tax efficient, um, stock type funds in your IRAs, and then less tax efficient, but the most, most, uh, most growth potential uh, type assets in your Roth accounts. And, and then you get to retirement and then you have to figure out how to take distributions from those accounts. And that becomes really important. It's the, the kind of approach that you'll hear a lot about, and especially if you're retiring by your early 60s, to think about at least for the high earner delaying social security to 70, and then put into play this strategy where you start doing Roth conversions, start moving some of that money from your IRAs to your Roth accounts. There's a, a lot of people will typically have more money in those tax deferred 401ks and IRAs than they do in any Roth account when they get to retirement. But if they can start positioning that and front loading some of their taxes, that can help get them into a position where they can have much less taxes later in retirement. And the thing that can hit people, even people with a couple million dollars saved up for retirement, if they can really figure out how to avoid the social security tax torpedo, which is this window where a dollar of income, like a dollar distribution from your IRA triggers not just a dollar of tax due on that um, dollar of income, but a dollar or it can be up to 85% of a dollar of your social security benefit becomes taxed. And then as well, you might be in a position where you had some long-term capital gains that were in the 0% tax bracket, but that are then pushing that money into the 15% tax bracket. You can find yourself getting close to a 50% marginal tax rate just based on you might have been in, in the 22% marginal tax bracket or even the 12% in some cases, but getting pushed up due to those impacts with social security and long-term capital it gains. It just starts layering like you were talking about where you wind up with, okay, this decision to take an extra dollar of income impacted not just that dollar, but two or three or four other areas. Right. And so it, it winds up stacking. Uh, and that, right. A lot of people believe that taxes will be higher in the future. 
and we're at historically low tax rates right now. And I'm not even talking about that issue. I'm just talking about in the existing tax code right now, how you can be surprised at how high your taxes can go when you factor in the social security long-term, the impact on long-term capital gains and when you're shifting from 0% to 15%. And then if you do have a higher income yet, then you have to start thinking about the Medicare premiums that you pay based on a modified adjusted gross income from two years prior and having to pay more for that reason as well. Well, and those, those, that can have a huge impact on, on where, you know, on cost and structure and things of that nature, um, you know, for, for retirement dollars. Um, mm-hmm. and one of the, one of the things that, that we stress in, uh, in our planning is trying to create balance, trying to create balance between, um, the various different structures. Um, I mean, it's not too dissimilar from say, uh, working out or, or diet. If you do all of one thing, if you only do cardio and you only eat protein, you're not going to be very healthy. You need to balance in with vegetables and fruits and, you know, have a balanced diet. You can't just do cardio. You have to do other things as well in order to create that balance. And so, you know, working to create, like you said, that Roth bucket or that the tax-free bucket in retirement, the, the bucket where we, we get that nice capital gains tax treatment. Um, and then, you know, having some of the tax deferrals. I mean, it, it's nice to get some of that tax deferral, um, during our working years, but we can't just arrive at retirement with this one massive bucket of tax deferred dollars because then we have no choice and flexibility. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And the tax deferred bucket, the, the IRA, the 401k seems great at the time because you're getting the tax deduction, but it has all these embedded income taxes in it. And that's where these are like complex issues about how it impacts social security and everything else that isn't on top of mind, but it's what can then trigger, even though you have less taxable income in retirement, you expect to be in a lower tax bracket. Things don't always work out that way due to all these other, it's not just that income itself. It's how it impacts other sources of income as well. Yeah. You may wind up losing some of the tax deductions that you've enjoyed during your, your accumulation years, whether that's uh, kids, a mortgage, a business, various other different deductions that you've got that you may not have in retirement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's much harder to, to have an itemized deduction in retirement, especially after the tax code changed at the end of 2017 with the tax cuts and jobs act. Yeah. It, it, all of those kind of hidden different things that uh, that people may not have actually realized were, were going on with, with some of the, the changes that occurred for, again, <laughs> for better or worse. Um, wonderful. What, um, I mean, I could sit here and talk to you for, for hours um, going into like value investing. And, and I, I read the piece that you had on, um, you know, the, the values finding the, the fjords uh, or pining for the fjords. Um, you know, we, we could jump into that. Um, but uh, I, I don't want to keep you too much longer. How much, how much time do you have for us here today? Are we, are we coming up on, on a deadline for you? Oh, I'm fine. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I found the, the piece on value investing, um, that, and then the, the income investing, those two concepts I I found very fascinating. Um, do you mind sharing, talking a little bit about what value investing is and and what, like why people value invest and what's going on with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's with my retirement researcher website, I I do focus more on the retirement income topics, but I, I work with Bob French who, 
writes a lot about, he's our investment director of investments, and he's very much focused on that. And the idea of value investing, and that's especially if you think about Roth assets that you may not be using for a long time, there can be risk premiums there that historically value stocks outperform growth stocks. And it can be a risky approach, but it's the whole idea of investing in the stock market where the only reason you take on the risk is because you expect a return. And so there are risk factors that have been identified. Value has gone through a rough patch, uh, and that's probably an understatement over the past 10 or so years, but uh, that doesn't necessarily change the underlying fundamentals of what's at work there, such, such that if you tilt your portfolio towards these type of risk factors over the long term, not, not over the short term, but over a long holding period, uh, to the extent that you believe stocks will outperform bonds, you, you can begin to expect that value will outperform uh, other growth factors as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I, one of the things that, that really hit home with me was when you, when you were comparing the, um, the risk premium that value creates um, in the chart that you showed of like, okay, any one year, any five years, any 10 years, any 15 years. And it really just showed like, okay, um, in any given year, growth can outperform stock and it's not going to be a surprise, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's true. Like with all types of stock market investments, it's you invest in stocks because you believe that as the holding period lengthens, at some point, stocks are going to give you superior performance to bonds. But in any one given year, that may or may not be the case. So it's just the same story applied right. to different risk factors. Uh-huh. Absolutely. I mean, you know, bonds versus stocks. In any given year, it's not going to be a shock that bonds outperform. Um, you know, at the same time, we expect that over time, based on historical performance, we would expect that stocks are going to outperform. Um, is it guaranteed? Absolutely not. And, and in fact, um, you know, we see that 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 occurs, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty-five to thirty-three percent of the time, bonds are going to outperform, and we accept that. That's part of risk. That's part of investing in the market. Um, but one of the things that I found interesting was was the long, like, and I, I knew this to be intrinsically true. Like, the longer the time horizon, the 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 smaller the the percentage of of outperformance comes down to. Um, but the, the difference over long periods of time in value versus growth um, and, and what, what I, I really appreciated about the article was talking about the, the built-in fundamental reason for value investing and talking about it from a standpoint of, nope, this doesn't necessarily mean that, that value is dead or that things have changed. It, it really just enhances the likelihood that we're going to wind up seeing value come back at some point. Um, and, and one of the arguments that you made is, is not that there's this just massive, like value is going to spike. It, it's just the likelihood of value returning to that risk premium being larger. Um, right. Right. That as growth has outperformed that the spread between them has grown. And so there's no short-term predictive power in any of this, but it's just to based on the, the expectations about the difference between growth and value, you'd really start to think that value has a very, relatively speaking, a relatively good future based on where we are today. And even over the past six months, value has really outperformed growth. Whether that's gonna continue to 
bring that trend back into play over the short term. We don't know, but over the long term, we still have that expectation. I love how you put that, that there is no short-term predictive power in the, in these things. And at the same time, it, it helps us when we take a long-term time horizon, like, like investing for retirement, which is a, I mean, heck, even at retirement, we should be planned to be in retirement for 20, 25, 30, maybe even 40 years, depending upon when we retire in uh, spent in retirement. And so we have to still have that long time uh, horizon mentality with our assets, because if we don't, it's, it's going to be a matter of when we run out of money, not if. <laughs> right. Um, and that's yeah. where retirement's long, but you've, you've got that exposure to the sequence of returns risk. And that's mm -hmm. where if you layer in protected income below that, you have the capacity to take that risk and to have the ability to potentially benefit over the long term, but not be completely vulnerable to short term fluctuations that work against you and then uh, can disrupt that retirement plan. So having that long term focus, but not being fully dependent on the stock market outperformance to fund your retirement. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I there was a, an interview that I'd, I'd listened to where you were talking about like, okay, yes, you, you can go ahead and, and use the market to, to try and have significant outperformance in the long term, but you have to be willing to accept tremendous risk. You know, you might wind up only having a, uh, I think a 20 or 25% chance of success, but you sure we, I mean, we can go ahead and, and take a look at larger distribution rates than, and say 4% mm -hmm. or even five or six. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you've got that capacity that you're, it's really discretionary at that point. If you have your, your built-in floor that you're happy to, or at least that you can comfortably live on if the stock market doesn't do well, then you can go ahead and, and take that risk if you want and, and have that upside potential without it being devastating to you. If it, if it doesn't work out the way you're hoping it might. Uh, and, and we'll kind of end on this. And the, the last concept that, that I've seen you use is, is trying to mirror uh, different pools of assets for specific expenses. And so one of the, one of the ways to, to try and minimize some of that uh, sequence of return risk is to go ahead and have a, a more conservative bucket early in retirement so that if the market doesn't do what we want it to do, We've got that buffer, kind of like a shock absorber, to be able to to deal with that short-term negative consequences, where where that that particular bucket doesn't have much exposure to risk, to to loss of principal, things of that nature. And so we've got a method for for creating um, you know short-term liquidity uh, above and beyond creating that that floor for income. Yeah, that's a, another retirement income style where you can view yourself as being more comfortable investing in the stock market because you're not going to be forced to sell that money for X number of years. And that's because you built that sort of front end bond piece, like, like you're saying, where you've got your expenses covered through bonds for the next however many years you want to set it up. And therefore, the stocks that you own will have that runway of if there's a market downturn, you can just let it ride and, and hope that it recovers before you're ever forced to start selling from it to fund your expenses again. So that's that time segmentation bucketing style approach that is also popular in practice with a lot of people. 
Absolutely. Uh, now, do we have an, an estimated time for, for when the, uh, the fourth book is going to gonna come out and hit shelves? I'm hoping and still thinking it's pretty realistic to be out around September 1st and at okay. the very latest October 1st, <laughs> getting close to being done with the draft at this point. Very cool. And is there a place that, uh, that folks can go to either pre-order that book or to, to get it once it hits shelves? Uh, the pre-order, not yet, but yeah, with all the books, I, I've got three other books now. And so if you just, Amazon's probably the easiest way if people type in my name, Wade Fow, and that's P as in Paul, F as in Frank, AU, they should see those books coming up at Amazon. Perfect. And, and now the, the three books that you've got, the, uh, the first one that you wrote talks about reverse mortgages. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one talks about uh, more of that investment focused in uh, mm-hmm. uh, retirement income style. Right. And the third one is the most recent one is safety first. Safety first retirement planning about blending and explaining how different types of annuities work. And also life insurance can play a role with all that as well. So how to, to blend that together with the investments. You just opened up a, a little bit of, of a topic there that I'd like to spend maybe just a couple minutes. Uh, if you still got the time, uh, talk a little bit more about life insurance and how that can play a role in retirement income planning. Mm-hmm. Well, so there, there's different ways. And in looking at that, it's kind of like pre-retirement, you think about, I, I need some life insurance to protect my family, the, the traditional reasons. And then you think about, should I buy term and invest a difference? Or should I think about permanent life insurance? And, and the point about thinking ahead to permanent life insurance is how it might be used in the retirement income plan. And, and there's different approaches there. It can be just a backstop to help support using an annuity as well, because you know that you have the life insurance to replace that asset if something happens. Uh, and you don't, like if you don't get as much out of your annuity because you don't live very long, well, you're getting more out of the life insurance because with life insurance, kind of the, the return you get is better the sooner you die rather than the, the longer your life. So it, it offsets and it hedges that longevity risk for you. Or you can just treat it as a buffer asset, which is the cash value with like a whole life policy doesn't lose value after a market downturn. It's principal protected and it can provide a temporary spending resource to cover expenses during a market downturn so that you don't have to be selling from the portfolio and locking in sequence risk when the market's going down. It's just that buffer of a spending resource that's not exposed to stock market volatility. Yeah, I, I love those concepts. Um, we, we use it kind of in in two forms. One that that buffer that you talked about, where you know if the market drops down, we can then use uh, permanent life insurance cash value as that buffer asset. Um, the other way in which we typically use it is is as a permission slip to allow us to spend down the other assets, whether that's through uh, mm-hmm. annuitization. Um, where we, we might put the annuity on uh, one person, on the actuarially older spouse, whether that's the, the husband or the wife, doesn't really matter. Um, and then have the, the insurance on that same person with the idea that, okay, if that annuity goes away, then the life insurance death benefit will be able to backfill that, that asset and will be able to create income um, from the death benefit. Um, or we can use it from an amortization standpoint um, and we can have a bucket of dollars that we're intentionally spending down because we know that we've got the death benefit and the cash value that sit behind it so that if we wind up living longer or we don't wind up getting the returns that we expect from the market, 
we can then use that asset as a way to um, to either recreate income or to to create a, a guaranteed income down the road and replace those those assets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of potential uses. It's, it can just be a more effective way to meet a. If you have a legacy goal in mind, it's when we talk about things like the four percent rule of thumb for spending from investments. It assumes you're willing to spend your money down to zero. Right. And if you want to actually preserve a legacy or just a, a margin of safety you've got to spend even less. You've got to be more conservative. And that's where the life insurance can allow you to go ahead and spend your investments down to zero because you, you can still support that legacy through the life insurance. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for, for the time today, Dr. Fow. Uh, I'd like to go ahead and, you know, and just uh, close out by saying, uh, if you have uh, um, some questions or, or want to, to learn more, uh, please head over to uh, beerandmoney.net. Uh, there's a place for you to go ahead and, and submit questions. Uh, if there's topics that you want uh, for future podcast episodes, or you have a question for myself or for Ryan, uh, by all means, let us know there. Uh, hopefully you got value out of today. Uh, and regardless of whether you got value, we, we'd love uh, to hear feedback, um, what we can do to improve, what you'd like to see in the future, or, or just, uh, hey guys, doing a great job. We appreciate all of it. Uh, as always, cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only according to individual professional advice. Guests, speakers, and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by the Academy Securities, Guardian, or Quantified Financial Partners, and opinions stated by their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Annuities are long-term investment vehicles designed to help investors save for retirement and involve certain contract limitations, fees, expenses, and risks, including possible loss of the principal amount invested. As with many investments, there are fees, expenses, and risks associated with these contracts. All guarantees, including the death benefit payments, are dependent upon the claims paying ability of the issuing company. Whole life insurance is intended to provide death benefit protection for an individual's entire life. Some whole life policies do not have cash values in the first two years of the policy and don't pay a dividend until the policy's third year. Talk to your financial representative and refer to your individual whole life policy illustration for more information. Policy benefits are reduced by any outstanding loans and loan interest. Dividends, if any, are affected by policy loans and loan interest. If the policy lapses or is surrendered, any loans considered gain in the policy may be subject to ordinary income taxes. Alex is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 333 North Indian Hill Boulevard, Claremont, California, 91711. Telephone number 909-399-1100. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. 
Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Alexander Collins AR Insurance License number 7264699, CA Insurance License number 0H24806, Pinpoint number 2021-118200, expiration March 2023.